This is Look West, a podcast from California's Assembly Democrats. In early 1969, on an otherwise normal morning, the people of Santa Barbara woke up to an unfamiliar view. An oil platform six miles offshore had blown a pipe due to insufficient safety precautions. The explosion ruptured the ocean floor in five places, spewing oil and gas into the Santa Barbara Channel. Eventually, three million gallons of oil covered more than 30 square miles of the ocean and beaches with black goo, killing thousands of birds, fish, and mammals. Linda Kropp is with the Environmental Defense Center. There was a blowout, and the oil spill lasted literally for about a year um, because the geologic formations just kept cracking under the pressure. So it had a tremendous impact, and it led to an immediate response, you know, something that we're not used to seeing these days. But back then it was referred to as the oil spill that was heard around the world. I'm Ben Cheever with Look West. The public outrage that followed what was at the time the largest oil spill in U.S. history sparked a bipartisan environmental movement leading to the creation of the EPA under President Richard Nixon and eventually the passage of the California Coastal Protection Act. It's part of California's constitution um, that this belongs to the public, and there's not a lot of things like that um, that we can point to. Assemblymember Monique Limon represents the Santa Barbara area today. She sat down with Linda Kropp and Lucas Sucker with Central Coast Alliance United for a Sustainable Economy, to talk about what's happened in the 50 years since that fateful morning and what lies ahead. Today we're here with Look West. My name is Monique Limon, assembly member representing the 37th Assembly District, and we have parts of Santa Barbara County and Ventura County. Uh, we are sitting on uh, Ledbetter Beach in Santa Barbara right now, uh, overlooking our incredible ocean and several students who are here with their families on spring break, enjoying a little bit of the sand and uh, a little bit of the sunshine. But I have two special guests uh, here with me today. I have uh, Linda Kropp from our Environmental Defense Center, who is joining us today. Uh, I also have uh, Luca Zucker, uh, who is here from CAUSE, uh, and it's a great organization here in our community. And we hope to have a conversation just a little bit about what it means to be sitting here in Santa Barbara Beach um, in relation to where we were 50 years ago on this day and what was happening in our oceans. Um, uh, Linda and Lucas, I'm going to have you start off by just telling us a little bit about yourself and what you do currently here in the area. Thank you. Uh, it's great to be here. It's a wonderful Friday outing. Uh, we should do this every Friday. Um, so I work with the Environmental Defense Center, which actually formed as a direct result of that oil spill in 1969. Um, as we'll probably get into in this show, the um, aftermath of the oil spill resulted in a lot of state and federal environmental protection laws. And so the Environmental Defense Center was formed as a public interest law firm to enforce those laws and to represent other groups in our community to make sure we didn't have a disaster like that happen again. Um, and also just to make sure that we um, had really strong environmental protection in our region. So we were birthed because of the oil spill. And unfortunately, we're still busy today fighting oil. Thank you, Linda, for joining us. Lucas. 
And I'm uh, Lucas Zucker, Policy Director at Cause. And uh, Cause was founded in 2001 as a social justice organization doing community organizing within working class and immigrant communities here in Ventura and Santa Barbara counties. Um, and we really started working on uh, more workers' rights issues, uh, you know, access to health care, livable wages, um, and started working on environmental justice uh, about 10 years ago. Um, when there was a proposal to build a liquefied natural gas terminal off the coast of Oxnard, um, which is a 85% people of color community, and you know, really saw that a lot of the health disparities uh, that we face in our communities are, are as a result of environmental injustice and the, the targeting of, of many of our communities by, uh, by polluters for, for some of these projects. So, Linda, can you tell us what happened 50 years ago? We had uh, the greatest oil spill in California history. Um, happen here, but can you tell us what that was like and what elements uh, have led to the work of uh, the center now? Well, at the time, the oil spill was actually the largest in the nation's history. Nothing like that had ever happened, and it's interesting to put it in context because the oil industry had just started moving offshore in the mid-1960s. The first offshore platforms were constructed, and some people were worried about that. You know, was that safe to do in our ocean? And the industry assured everyone it was safe. And within a couple years, there was a massive blowout from Platform A, which we can still see from where we're sitting. It's still operating offshore uh, Santa Barbara. Um, There's lots of them But there there was a blowout, and um, it caused uh, an oil spill. And the oil spill lasted literally for about a year um, because the geologic formations just kept cracking under the pressure. So it had a tremendous impact, and it led to an immediate response, you know, something that we're not used to seeing these days. But back then, it was referred to as the oil spill that was heard around the world. There was so much attention because it just blackened all the beaches. And so we had a Republican president, we had a Republican governor, and immediately, um, both in Washington, D.C. and Sacramento, we got a slew of wonderful environmental protection laws that we all take for granted today. Um, but that oil spill led to, you know, the modern Clean Air Act, Clean Water Act, Coastal Act, Endangered Species Act, you know, laws requiring public participation and environmental review. And we can, that wouldn't have happened, you know, but for the 69 oil spill. And Lucas, thinking about that oil spill and cause wasn't yet formed, um, what does that oil spill mean to the individuals you represent along California's central coast? Absolutely. Uh, for us, looking back 50 years after the, the oil spill, um, we reflect a lot on um, the unrealized promise of the, the environmental movement and, you know, a lot of the progress that we we still need to make, really wanting to have kind of a, a rebirth of the movement. Um, so many... Uh, Often, often it's uh, it's said that the the birthplace of the environmental modern environmental movement is is you know here in, in Santa Barbara after the spill, and yet um, you know as as we saw a lot of protections put into place, um, we really did see the continuation of oil and gas development, particularly um, in communities of color and low income communities throughout California, and and right here within you know thirty minutes drive away, we've got some of the the largest oil fields in the state um, still here, but but as we've seen onshore oil uh, drilling continue. Um, and I think, really, we, we sometimes think of oil um, often in the, the perspective of kind of um, coastal environments and the marine life that lives there. But um, 
but often not as much in the um, onshore drilling that, that impacts the groundwater aquifers that, that human life depends on for, for drinking water. Um, just, just about an hour, hour north in northern Santa Barbara County, um, there's a huge project being proposed to, to redevelop an oil field with, that would become one of the, the largest oil fields in the state. Um, and drilling, drilling through the, the groundwater aquifer um, to get really, really dirty, heavy crude oil um, in, a, in a rural, low-income community where 200,000 people depend on that groundwater, not just for drinking water, but also for the agriculture that, that a lot of the community, particularly farm workers, depend on. Right. And, you know, the, well, the three of us are sitting here on the beach, um, and I think that the point was made that what happened with the offshore uh, oil production and the spill um, has greater meaning to all oil production um, in, in the state. Something a little bit lighthearted. What does sitting here on the beach mean to you? What do you think about when you look out at the ocean? I'm looking over the Pacific Ocean now. Um, I'm looking at these kids running um, around, throwing a ball uh, you know, we have a hang glider here. What does this mean uh, to really all of our communities? What are your memories uh, of here and why do we fight for this, for the ocean that we're looking at right now? For me, I think my, my family's always had a real connection to the ocean. Um, my mom would always take us out and recently my, my grandmother passed and my mom asked me to, to go you know, go to the ocean in, in her memory. Um, I we, I spent most of my early childhood in Oakland, and that's a community where really historically the shoreline was privatized to use for, you know, heavy industry, for shipping, you know, the port, um, military. Uh, and and I remember we would drive all the way out to Monterey to go to the beach. Um, and uh, and I remember my, my mom afterwards, someone, you know, someone asked her, oh, how long is it to, you know, Monterey, and she was like, oh yeah, it must be like three, four hours. She was driving these like crying, screaming children in the back of her car all the way, all the way out there. It's really only like an hour and a half, but, but that was, it, was, it was so important. I think you see so many people who don't have that kind of coastal access, whether it's been you know, blocked by something uh, for, for them. Um, people have so much of a desire to connect with the ocean, right? And that they'll go through incredible lengths, um, and for, for many of our communities, incredible lengths over uh, you know, incredible obstacles. Well, first of all, I'm a little jealous because I'm watching these boys play football, <laughs> and I want to play. <laughs> I played intramural flag football at UCSB, nice. <laughs> um, and it was UCSB that brought me to the coast, and I've never left since. Um, but to me, the ocean is, um, you know, it, it's peaceful. Um, you can get out on the water. I kayak a lot. I go whale watching a lot. I go out to the islands. So you can just get away from it, you know, whether it's the mountains or the ocean, um, but the, the other thing to me about the ocean is it's, you know, it, it should be pristine, you know, it should be pure and clean. And, um, unfortunately it's not because of the industrial threats. And I was, you know, here in 20, I wasn't here in 1969, but, um, when we had a more recent spill in 2015, you know, we got out to the yeah. beach the very first day, and it was just devastating because, you know, the beach, should, it should look like it looks like right here. Um, and it was just covered with oil, and every wave, you know, including the tides, was carrying that oil into the ocean. And you just think about all the critters out there, you know, all the 
marine mammals and the dolphins and the seals and the fish, and you just know that they're helpless. So it's, it's fragile, it's important, and it's such a part of the community. You know, whether people recreate there or whether or not they have businesses um, or whether, you know, it's school kids coming to learn about marine biology, it's, it's so important to everybody. Absolutely. I wanted to add a little bit that I, I just think one of the incredible things about the ocean, and particularly the beach, is that it's one of the few places in our lives that's really public. That's really anyone can come and just be here. And that you don't have to, you know, get a ticket. You don't have to, right, make a, make a reservation. You can just be here. And especially in California, we have this incredible thing called the Coastal Act from the, from the 1970s that really is a, is a pretty, pretty radical principle that, that the, the coast of California belongs to all of us. And that really, actually, nobody can, can buy up some section of coast and use it for themselves and not, not let anybody in. Um, that's, that's incredible to me. Um, and that's something that I, I really love about the coast of California. Absolutely. And I think for me, I mean, I was born and raised in the very region I represent. So it's unbelievably exciting. It's an honor. But I think back to my own memories um, of what, of the beach and having, um, you know, my family time here on a beach, uh, not knowing how to swim, though, and what it meant to also be like so many kids in this very community that love to come here, love to see it, will dip their toes in the water, and that's pretty much it. But I also learned by living here that it is so important for kids and for everyone to have a relationship with nature. And that is really how we build um, our, our views around what we want to protect and what we believe it is important to protect. And if we weren't protecting this, I don't know if this beach would look the way it looks right now. I don't know that we would have the number of families, kids, enjoying the beach that we're looking at right now uh, because it would be something that would be contaminated, dirty, not healthy for them. They'd have to stay away. And I think to your point, Lucas, um, it is, right, in our Coastal Act. It's part of California's constitution um, that this belongs to the public, and there's not a lot of things like that um, that we can point to. Uh, So I definitely think it's important. Another perspective that I share is that, you know, my father for more than 40 years has worked at a hotel that is across the street um, from a beach. And I think of what it means for so many workers in this state to rely on our coast um, as part of an economic driver. People come here from afar to see what we have access to and to enjoy it because they too deserve to enjoy it. Um, And, you know, my dad didn't have a fancy job. He's a service worker. Uh, But when the coast is contaminated, and you referred, Linda, to the 2015 refugio oil spill. Um, that had an impact on all the workers, on all the economy that relies on our coast to make an everyday living. Uh, and so I have the, these two perspectives of leisure, enjoyment, but also what it means for just working folks in California to have this and to have a job that relies on the pristine nature of our ocean. I think that's really important. Tourism is so much more important to the state's economy than offshore oil and gas development, and a lot of people don't realize that. But I remember when um, the Environmental Defense Center was working with then um, Assemblymember Jack O'Connell on crafting the California uh, Coastal Sanctuary Act, which put a ban on any new offshore leasing in state waters, which extend out to three miles. 
And when I would go up to Sacramento for the hearings, I was accompanied by the president of the Santa Barbara Tourism and Lodging Association, who was a Republican. And, you know, we went to every hearing together. And it was a wonderful reminder that access to the coast is a nonpartisan issue. And, you know, thinking back 50 years ago when all of those environmental laws passed, immediately within two or three years, they all passed with bipartisan support in Congress and the state legislature, and they were signed by Republican governor and president. So um, I think that's something important to keep bringing up because people don't see it that way now, and I think it's a good historic reminder that you know, we should be working together to protect the ocean and clean air and clean water. It benefits all of us. It doesn't matter what your party affiliation is. Um, but it was really gratifying to have that experience. But it was because tourism is such a driver of our economy and tourism relies on a beautiful, clean environment. It does. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I agree that that's such an important point of all of the workers who, who are connected to the coast. Um, I sometimes say, working on coastal policy, that the the uh, the color of the coast is very different from from day to night, right? Um, I think often when we're talking about uh, coastal preservation, what we imagine is, oh well, people who live on the coast are wealthy people who can afford you know multi million dollar mansions, you know, of the coast of Malibu, and that's really not everyone in California is connected to the coast. You know, far more people are connected to the coast through day to day work, right? Who, who come here to you know not not just work in hotels, but you know work in restaurants and you know uh, domestic work, housekeeping, landscaping, um, you know working on the docks and our and our ports, right? Um, you know working at in, you know in fishing, um, and uh, and then the amount of people who come here and this is for for a lot of people who who you know they live in inland areas on hot days, right? They they maybe don't have access to parks in their neighborhood, uh, live in crowded apartments. Um, you know, this is really a refuge and a place to be out and connect with us. As you mentioned, the, the just mental health benefits and physical health benefits of, you know, being out in an outdoor place like this. Um, and so, you know, when we talk about preserving the coast, it's really not about who maybe own, owns land along the coast or who can afford to, to, to live here. It's about the millions and millions of Californians who li- whose lives every day are connected through their work or their recreation. Absolutely. And Lucas, you just touched on something that has become a a big debate in Sacramento um, and really in our state. Um, And it's this idea that uh, there's a separation between those who live in our coast and those who live um, in other parts of, of California. Uh, and that conversation sometimes leads to this discussion about uh, jobs and the working class and the jobs that uh, industry could bring. H- how do we think about this conversation that arises that, you know, different folks on different sides of the aisles have issues with? And, and how do we respond to something like that? Well, look, I think... Um, I, I live about a mile away from the Ventura oil field. It's one of the largest oil fields in the state. Um, and the, the truth is, I think sometimes the, the rhetoric on jobs, I mean, the reality is a lot of that industry has been very automated. Um, and, you know, when, you, when I go out to the oil field, I mean, mostly it's, you know, little oil wells pumping up and down by themselves. I mean, it looks like a ghost town, right? Um, you know, the, the truth is, yes, there are jobs in the, in the oil and gas sector. Um, but really, it's a, you know, Ventura County is is the third largest oil producing county in the state of California and, and less than 1% of our employment is, is in the oil and gas sector, right? Um, and, and you look at how many other jobs are connected to having a healthy environment, right? 
Um, and so, so I do think I do think it's important. I think it's real that um, you know the oil oil and gas sector historically you know paid well, and I think we need to make sure as we're growing our clean energy economy. Um, that that we're having good quality jobs in that sector, um, and that they're reaching those same same standards. Um, but I, I do think often the the rhetoric around jobs is is you know put forward not not always by organizations that that have working people's interests in mind, but by uh, industry that stands to profit from it, um, and sometimes can overblow the 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 numbers around jobs. Mm-hmm. Linda, any thoughts on that? And, and you, you've had a lot of experience um, over the years and also doing really bipartisan work um, around uh, protecting our coast, around, uh, you know, limiting offshore oil production. And I know that recent um, and, you know, recent and historical surveys say that an overwhelming number of individuals, despite party or affiliation, um, support limiting and stopping offshore oil drilling. What's your reaction to some of those arguments, considering the the extensive legal background you have and expertise, having worked on many of the cases that impact the coast? It really does affect everybody. And from my experience, I've been doing this for about 30 years. Um, We have been successful for that very reason. And you know, whether it's, you know, we're talking about passing laws or whether we're talking about, you know, standing up to a threat like right now, we've got the federal threat of opening up our entire ocean to more oil and gas drilling uh, for the first time in about 40 years. So we've made so much progress. You know, we've used laws to stop oil development. We've used laws to actually retire half of the federal oil and gas leases off of our coast. And now we have the Trump administration trying to bring it back. And if you look, you know, up and down the the coast, not just California, especially California, but other coasts too, um, like Florida and the Atlantic coast is, it doesn't matter if someone's Democrat or Republican or independent or socialist or whatever. They don't want more offshore oil and gas development. You know, the risks just so vastly outweigh any potential benefits. You know, Lucas talked about how the jobs issue is really a myth. It's not very many jobs. Um, In our area, a lot of the higher paying positions are brought here from out of the area. Um, you know, they're not providing these local, you know, people with these good high-paying jobs. They bring them from their other uh, fields and projects. And so what we have here is we have, you know, we talked about tourism, but fishing is also really important. Right. And we've partnered a lot with the commercial fishing um, organizations in our area to try to prevent any more oil and gas development. Because it's not just about their jobs, it's also about food. And, um, the benefit of that to the community or, you know, people who fish individually for, you know, their own subsistence um, or recreational use. So it's, you know, California, but also, you know, a lot of other coastal regions really care about those things. Yeah. The other thing I wanted to add on jobs is the impact uh, to jobs of climate change. And, and, and we here in Mentor and Santa Barbara counties, you know, we experienced, a, a, you know, a little over a year ago what was then the largest wildfire in California history has now already been surpassed, right? We're, we're seeing these kind of rolling wildfires. Um, and, and what happened then was, was a really complete shutdown of a lot of, our, of the sectors of our economy. I mean, the agriculture industry, you know, basically had to, to stop work for, for a month because of the heavy smoke in the air that was making it so dangerous for farm workers to be out there, out there working. Um, you know, our, our tourism industry, uh, you know, and all of these, these hotels and restaurants, you know, um, had to completely shut down because, because they work any business because nobody wants to come to Santa Barbara on vacation in the middle of a gigantic wildfire. Um, and it was really um, a lot of low-wage immigrant workers who, who lost work 
um, because of uh, you know because of exclusion from from federal safety nets like FEMA, um, disaster unemployment, uh, you know, really had nowhere to turn. Right, um, already living paycheck to paycheck, and just you know had no source of income during that disaster. And and that's kind of an extreme example of the way that climate change through drought, through wildfire, um, through through impacts to our coast through sea level rise is is actually really impacting a lot of a lot of jobs in California. And I would say you know the the jobs that are impacted by uh, climate change and all other forms of environmental destruction are far greater than the amount of jobs in the fossil fuel sector at this point. This is an important conversation, and um, we, we've talked a little bit about the past, um, kind of where we are with the present, but as I think of this podcast, and it's about looking west, that also means looking forward in, in the state. How do we look forward in this state? How do, how do we... Uh, what does looking forward and looking west mean to you? It's actually a really exciting time um, because in California in particular, we have some incredible laws and policies focusing on a renewable energy future. So we have laws requiring reduction in greenhouse gas emissions, which means phasing out things like dirty fossil fuels. Uh, we have targets for electric vehicles. We have targets for the utility sector to get its um, energy from renewable energy. Um, you know, I'm looking at the platforms right now, many of these will probably be decommissioned in the near future because they're not producing as much and you know, hopefully we won't have some new leasing. Um, but we know of at least six platforms off our coast that are definitely going to be decommissioned and it's possibly going to be quite a few more, could even be double that. So I think we're at a, a convergence um, in our path where we can either continue this commitment towards a clean, renewable energy future, or we could take the Trump path. <laughs> and I think for us, you know, here in California, it's really clear we want to follow the renewable energy path, and we can. I mean, it's so exciting. We're actually ahead of some of our targets, and um, it's really exciting to see um, the amazing progress that's being made, not just at a policy level, but in the private sector. And you look at electric vehicles, um, they are just taking off. Um, solar's taking off. Uh, wind is taking off. So um, I think we can be optimistic and vigilant and persistent. <laughs> Good. That's what I'd like to hear about California. Uh, I, I think it's incredible just what we've seen in our, our local region in the transition to a clean energy economy. Um, we had in, in Oxnard the Puente Power Plant um, that after a years-long battle where the, the community was was fighting this this project um, was defeated against all odds. I mean, people thought maybe maybe max a 10% chance of winning that we, we had, um, and that's probably optimistic. Um, but but really, you know, part of what's happened is that the political tide has turned um, in the community. Uh, and then, and then also technological tide has turned. Uh, you know, um, it's incredible to see the, the plummeting cost of, of battery storage has allowed solar power to, to be, be viable as, as, you know, really replacing fossil fuel power. Uh, and so after the, the Puente power plant went down and, and, you know, we found that it was viable to replace this thing with, with solar and, and battery storage, um, it really created this this wave of now you had multiple power plants in LA um, that were were slated for for development that that then were pulled back right um, and I think you know what we're seeing this huge huge transition that I think is happening faster than we think um, and and you know we saw the the Green New Deal at the the federal level maybe meet a pretty early demise but here in California is where we can actually do something like that um, and we can actually have the the really incredible transformation um, in our community that um, that I think you know public wants. 
Nice. And I think that that's uh, important to think about uh, as, as we think about the future. And we just had two little friends join us. They're wondering what we're doing. And I wonder, oh, now three little friends that are here joining us. Will you tell us your first name only and what you love about coming to this speech? Just your first name. And then what you love about coming to the speech. Who wants to go first? All right. Uh, my name is Keanu, and I like, uh, I guess, the clear sand so we can play football and stuff like that. Nice. My name's Tom, and I like um, making sand balls over there. You made some great ones. And then your name, I'll have you get a little closer. Annabelle. Annabelle. What do you like about this beach? I like the water. You like the water? Do you like that the water's clean? Yeah. Yeah. Thank you very much. Uh, I think that that's exciting uh, to, to hear it from really the future. Um, the work that we're doing here around some of this has to do uh, not just for the present, but for the future. And you heard it from the voice of, you know, students living in this community uh, who come here because they very much value um, and enjoy something. And I think that our goal, uh, and I know my goal with some of the legislation that I've introduced, has really been to make this accessible to all um, and to make sure that this incredible natural resource that we have um, is something that all Californians can feel proud of, but also willing to stand up and protect. Um, and so with that, um, I, I actually think I'm going to wrap up um, and, and see if there's any final thoughts or final words uh, that we have uh, from each of you about some of the work we're doing in the state of California. I think the most important uh, issue right now that uh, we're working on is to um, push back against the Trump proposal uh, to open up our entire ocean, including our National Marine Sanctuary, uh, to more drilling and to fight these massive onshore projects that collectively are going to you know, cause a huge impact on climate change in addition to direct impacts on our community. And of course, support clean, renewable energy and do everything we can personally. We're, we're here right on the cusp of the clean energy revolution. Um, it's exciting to see it, it already happening. Um, but I think there's, there's so many other places that it needs to. I think we're, we're seeing the, the need to really transform our electricity grid um, because, of, because of the wildfires that we're facing. Um, I think we're, we're seeing the need to tackle not just offshore but also onshore drilling um, in many of our communities. Um, you know, as well as we're, we're really working to, to reduce the use of fossil fuels in transportation. And I think one of the, one of the places that uh, we really want to see that happen is, is in kind of the, the freight shipping sector, um, where, where really some of the, um, the most negative impacts to public health around, um, you know, kind of diesel, diesel trucking. Um, and so those are, those are just some of the many places we're just seeing this transformation happen in so many sectors of our economy. Um, and I'm really optimistic about it. Great. And thank you again, Linda, for being here uh, and representing a voice of, of uh, you know, a voice of change, a voice of work around our environmental movement. Uh, we're here 50 years later, still fighting some of the same um, battles and, and some of the same challenges we have um, here in this uh, very community in the Central Coast. Uh, thank you, Lucas, uh, for your work and for your voice in this. And thank you both for really uh, sharing with us that uh, we are proud of the work that California is doing and certainly have uh, to look forward um, to uh, what comes next and, and uh, understand some of that will be met with 
challenges, but challenges that we're willing uh, to encounter because of every single one of these individuals that we're seeing um, right now that is uh, very much uh, here on the coast um, and reminds us of what we're, we're fighting for. So thank you again. My name is uh, Assemblymember Monique Limon, representing Santa Barbara and Ventura areas in the California legislature. I want to thank uh, the Shoreline Cafe who has provided power for us. Thank you, Shoreline Cafe, uh, for allowing us to use your power and have this conversation with our you know, toes in the sand, enjoying some of this incredible uh, sun. Um, but we are thankful and uh, we look forward to uh, everyone listening to this and continuing to look west. The Look West podcast is produced by the California Assembly Democrats. Please subscribe and rate this show wherever you get your favorite podcast. And when you think of California and politics, remember to look west.